0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 342 featuring Edward Dawson Taylor and Jacqueline Cooper. I have known a Jackie Cooper for a while and I've also known Ed through Jackie uh, and they are absolutely wonderful people. Uh, they're doing a lot of interesting things. And I've actually sort of been working with them because they've been teaching, doing a class uh, based on their, their company called Becoming a CG Pro. Now, I've already done a podcast with Jackie way back in the day. If you guys want to hear a little bit more of her backstory, we end up talking a lot about Ed's backstory because we haven't really talked to him uh, that much. Uh, but what th- what they're both doing is is a pretty cool stuff. And uh, I was, it was really, really glad to be part of it. Kristen, what did you think of this podcast with Jackie and Ed?
1: Well, they I I enjoyed it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. Well, and they both already have like amazing film backgrounds, and they yep. both also worked for ILM and Digital Domain. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jackie, she's worked on like the top three grossing films of all time, which was Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows, Tron. Which I'm assuming that's where you two mm-hmm. met in Jurassic World. Um, and then Ed was a CG soup on a lot of films, but Jurassic World as well, The Lion King and Jungle Book, which is where you guys talk about virtual production. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Yep just that's basically what this whole podcast is about and about their school becoming a CG pro. Um, and they're just both so nice and humble. Um, and I like on their Facebook page, they have this one quote, we are all helped get where we are and it's a, it's good to pay it back and forth. So they just really want everyone to, they just want to teach people. So, um, it's just, it's great what they do.
0: It's really cool. And they, they basically, it's, it's basically what they're doing is they're teaching, uh, 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 they're teaching Unreal for filmmakers, uh, which has been a really great course for people to do because a lot of people are figuring out how to do this. And there's not always uh, the ex. There's a lot of information out there, but it's really good to have a good structured program that they've done. And Ed, in fact, is now a certif. He's a certified uh, Unreal teacher as well. Which is a uh, pretty cool stuff, and obviously I have some interest in virtual production, as you guys know for a long time. So Ed and I talk, as you said, at length on this subject, uh, and uh, as well as with Jackie in terms of figuring out, you know, what the, what they're doing in their school uh, and their classes. Uh, in fact, there's a couple of things that they're they're, they're coming up that they're teaching. Uh, Kristen, tell people what the what they're up to, what Ed and Jackie are up to on their in their classes.
1: All right, so in October they have a Fall Unreal for Filmmakers uh, one and two, um, and if anyone's interested in learning vir- virtual production, you can go to their website, which we'll link all in the podcast, um, mm-hmm. and then you can also join their Facebook group, which is called Becoming a CG Pro, um, to catch like workshops and classes that they will be adding over time, um, and then they also have a podcast called Becoming a CG Pro Podcast. Yeah,
0: exactly. So go check out all those things, uh, and you know, I was really happy to be able to help out and. And help promote uh, what uh, Ed and uh, Jackie are doing because uh, I know in the world of virtual production right now, there's a lot of people figuring this stuff out. Uh, so, additionally, uh, we have a couple of, we had our big event last week, which is what we we had to take the week off because I think we were a little wiped out from <laughs> 24 hours of chaos yeah. <laughs> and didn't have enough time to, to post a uh, podcast. But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, uh, coming up. So, what's happening on September 23rd?
1: We have a V-Ray 5 for Rhino webinar, so you'll learn tips and tricks for a quick and easy architectural workflow. So sign up online. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. And then the only other announcements for products we have is V-Ray 5 uh, has been updated for V-Ray for Unreal. So uh, go check that out as well if you go to chaos.com. Speaking of Unreal, which is uh, (laughs) what Ed and Jackie are doing. Uh, Okay. If people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go?
1: You can go to facebook.com slash podcast or chaos.com slash garage, And if you'd like to watch us, you can go to youtube.com slash tv.
0: Perfect. And if you guys have ideas or you have questions or anything relevant to the podcast, let us know. We would love to receive your emails on that. The email is labs at chaosgroup.com. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, That would always be appreciated. A thumbs up and uh, a review is always welcome. But that being said, please enjoy episode number 342 featuring Ed, Dawson Taylor, and Jackie Cooper. Welcome to another CG
2: garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're going to fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passé. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything
0: has for now. Jackie, you've actually been a guest on this, but I was looking up the last time that you were a guest on this, which was... 2016, believe it or not, it was five years ago. <laughs> oh my god! <gosh. laughs> you, you were just about to uh, release your Monarch VR piece that you were doing. That's when we did that whole thing. Wow. Which was uh, which was uh, really awesome, but uh, Jackie and I have actually uh, you know reconnected because we're doing something a little different. We're first of all we're joined by Ed, and Ed is uh, uh, is Hello. you know going to be uh, uh, talking about. We're going to talk a lot about about what Ed's past is as well because I'm sure people are curious about that. But I want to actually get to talking about why we reconnected and then what you guys are doing. So, Jackie, tell us a little bit about uh, you know the the project or the 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 thing that we've been doing together <laughs> in terms of <laughs> learning, learning the virtual production. Tell us, tell us a little bit about this stuff you're doing.
2: Sure. So basically, um, hold on a second. So basically what happened was that, um, I had been, um, working at deluxe or method experience it has gone through a few names, but, um, uh, so I was working there. I was doing some stuff on games, and I was doing um, VR there. Um, I was the head of their 360 live action VR, and so um, I was getting to learn Unreal, and I was working on learning it. And then, um, and then the fellowship picked me up. Um, on their first round and so I got to uh, go through the fellowship and it just completely renewed my love of Unreal. And so I told Ed, I was like, you know, the fellowship is really hard to get into and people really want to learn this stuff. And so um, we decided that since Ed had been doing Unreal for years and doing um, VR and stuff inside of Unreal for years, uh, that, you know, he would be a great teacher. So.
0: Yeah, so that's pretty exciting. So basically I mean some people may not not know about uh the fellowship because it is uh slightly exclusive in some way, you as you explained. Explain. Uh but basically it's a it's a it's a series of classes that uh that Epic teaches, right? Uh, about unreal spe- uh, mostly to deal with virtual production. Is that correct, Jackie?
2: Yeah, it's sort of how to use the program so that um so that you can then jump into phase two, which would be like virtual production, but you kind of need a solid basis in Unreal before you can jump into virtual production.
0: Right, right. And so what you guys have done and you told me about it was that basically I would be able to uh, uh, do something similar with you guys (laughs) directly. (laughs) And so you you, uh, you had a course that I did, which was eight weeks, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, we we met up uh, twice a week uh, for several hours and went through a lot of different materials, uh, specifically dealing with virtual production and actually coming up with a project itself that was a lot of fun. So I learned a lot from that process. Uh, this is something that I really wanted to sort of get into. Obviously, virtual production is a, of big interest to me, and uh, I was very, very excited about it. Uh, and to to sort of get my hands dirty in Unreal to find out you know how am I going to utilize this tool. But before we get too much into that, Jackie, you mentioned that Ed really knows Unreal. So Ed, how how what path in your life that allowed you to sort of fall into this thing where you actually know a lot about real time and gaming technology? <laughs> what's your What's I... your origin story?
3: <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so. I guess, well, I, I used to be a software engineer originally. I I loved computer graphics since I was, I don't know, eight years old or whenever I could go around to my friends' houses and tinker around with old Commodores and BBCs and stuff like that. But I went down the path of um, software, so I became a software engineer. And I was also, at the time, really into clubbing and going out in London in the 90s and um, found there was a great outlet for computer graphics Doing being a VJ, I could make all this kind of wacky animation um, without any judgment, and uh, had this great outlet for it. I could go take it to these clubs and project it, and it was super fun. So I, I kind of dabbled with it while I was being a software engineer professionally, and then just it just didn't get a didn't go away. The the the, the voice the voices in my head telling me to uh, pursue computer graphics professionally um, or take it more seriously and up up level were just so strong, Um, I felt like I I needed to do it. So I made a career transition. I went and got some training um, around 15, 16 years ago from a place called Escape um, Studios in the UK, which still exists. Mm -hmm. Um, That was fantastic. And I went and got some professional training from industry pros that were active in the industry. And um, yeah, then really sort of six months-ish after the class of doing my reel and breaking in, um, I got the first opportunities on uh, one of the early Harry Potter movies, and and then got a staff position, and then um, in a visual effects house in commercials. I purposefully chose commercials because I wanted to go through rapid iteration. And <clears throat> you know, being being an engineer, I think I just appreciated that um, that sense of being able to go through a lot of things over and over, and and broaden my skill set. So I, I chose that very consciously. I wanted a great mentor. And I was lucky to have one for five or more years at the beginning of my career. Um, The whole time while I was doing that, we brought in the, the the VJ was still a hobby and I managed to kind of bring the two together at one, at one point. Um, It was part of this project called the Sancho Plan, which was basically like um, a group of musicians that controlled worlds through their instruments. And it was kind of a bunch of frustrated VJs basically wanting to, Add more kind of story and cohesion to VJing, and we also made the music. So we kind of put this thing together, um, went out and toured around the world with it. And at some point in my day job in visual effects, we managed to get the, the both together, and I became my own client during that phase, um, which was really cool. Um, so I got to bring my passion into the day job, which you know, very often it's doing things for other people. And in that moment, it was getting to getting paid to work on my own stuff which was awesome and and that was really like the beginnings of where the real time stuff kind of came in you now we we made a conscious choice on that project to just look at um all the options uh from real time 3D to doing 2D pre-rendered stuff that was triggered and we chose to mostly go down the pre-rendered route because game engines back then when was you know, this ten- approximately um Fifteen years. Okay. You know, long they time were, ago. Yeah, they were pretty sort of rudimentary at that moment. They're really good for games, but um from a filmmaker's perspective it was the quality wasn't there. Um and we've sacrificed some of the interactivity for um the, for quality, by mm-hmm. pre-rendering things and cheated it by having rendered it from multiple angles to make you feel like you could <clears throat> you were navigating around the world even though you weren't um but yeah, really, we 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 did experiment. We did one project. We got a commission for a, a place called Ars Electronica in Austria, um, which we performed at uh, quite a number of years at their um, the festival that they run for an entire week, where they take over that whole town, and it's a, really cool for anyone that's interested in that world. I'm not sure what they're doing during COVID, but um, but we did a we got a commission from them at their new space where they had a, a huge cave immersive environment it was sixteen by nine meters screen on the wall and on the floor it was driven by eight projectors and um we we were told to they wanted to use Vertools, which was a very old game engine it was used mm-hmm. a lot on um kind of tablet platforms and th- those kinds of things um but uh yeah that was the, an experiment it was well, again we didn't hit the visual quality we were really after but it Kind of really opened my eyes to what was possible, and then um, skipping a whole bunch of story in the middle to like the last five years where I really got involved more into um, VR using <clears throat> Unity a lot initially. To you, know, you mentioned the the Monarch VR piece which we made, and mm-hmm. we you know, it was like an experiment, and we had this little VR company we were we were experimenting with, and we put the app out there on Earth Day just to see what we could do in VR and um, and we donated all the proceeds to, to Earth Day, to the monarchs, um, to helping the butterflies. And it was a really cool experience. And again, like just further kind of opened that that uh, conversation up. Um, and then, yeah, continuing into kind of virtual production in the last five years-ish, um, getting involved in Jungle Book um, was a lot being done in Unity. and motion builder and photon. Um, and it's it was kind of evolving out of the team that, that developed um, on Avatar developed what um, that stage of virtual production looked like. And then Jungle Book took it further. And, and then I was fortunate enough to to lead a team on the Lion King um, doing virtual art department work on the Lion King movie, which um, took it even further and was again, still Unity um in the background using unreal um since before then um and then yeah really what what was created by the incredible team on the lion king of you know just really diverse team of visual effects artists games artists um some amazing engineers um and incredible filmmakers and production team all of those people um we we together we cooked uh, something that hadn't been made before, and it kind of lived and died on that movie. It was uh, it was all of those t- tools that were produced? I'm sure, and in, in some ways, are, are continuing to live on. But really, Epic kind of jumped in after that, got really excited about it, and um, have been just uh, throwing so many resources into reproducing what was being done, um, and then taking it even further, and and using a lot of current projects it was born really on the mandalorian and <clears throat> the um the the all of the things which wanted to be implemented to make that work um were done were were kind of cooked on that show um and then ilm kind of went off on their own um path a little bit and i think are coming back a bit uh, to unreal but the, the with with the, the genesis of of that um through that project it's really kind of lit the world up and created the fellowship and no, now now everybody's excited about um, this technology because it's really you know all credit to Epic really because they've just made it so accessible in every way. They've they've given free. They're paying people to to educate them in it. The program is free. Um, all the development they're doing they're they're doing out of their own pocket, um, out of Fortnite's pocket. Fortunately, they have that that uh, that little thing going which. Um, helps but you know they're they're just really passionate about um, the technology and about education and um, yeah I I think that has been having that amount of kind of evangelism for it has got everybody excited but um, yeah alongside that been teaching for quite some time as well and started teaching people Unreal um, doing some one-to-one stuff and then we created this group teaching experiences and yeah just continuing to be a you know a student as well as a teacher myself because honestly it's like evolving daily uh so yeah yeah so yeah I still can, always I, in that mode
0: i can definitely i mean there's several things i want to touch on that you were talking about one i mean one is like you know i was very excited about virtual production you know back, back when when I mean, obviously, the Avatar stuff is one of the first times you sort of see some of those things that happened or understanding what the implication of it is. Right? to me, it was like it was when you take motion capture and then you start to capture the camera, too, and then you're actually filming in virtually. So that's when I sort of saw that 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 process that it was, I think, fascinating. And then you guys carried it even further on things like the Jungle Book which I was fascinated by, but I had been actually talking to, you know, besides the virtual production stuff, I've been doing stuff I've been doing. I've been talking to Ben Grossman for, for years about it and his excitement Mm -hmm. about it. And so obviously when, you know, after Jungle Book comes Lion King, right. And that's the evolution when he says like, I am building tools that are making filmmaking possible in real time, you know, and that experience of what that was, was really like, yes, now I get it. Now I get it. There's, which I think was, which is great. I think that's my vision is that, you know, I'm able to film in VR uh, or not VR film in, 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 in virtual production it doesn't have to be in VR in any way, but it, but seeing what I'm trying to do and doing all CG stuff and using the same tools that cinematographers can use. And actually you mentioned it several times during the class. It's like, this is the opportunity for the cinematographer to come back on, st- on set, you know, but it's a virtual set, yeah. but it's back on set. So I think that was, you know, kind of a great thing. And you also even taught yep. in your course. You actually were bringing cinematographers and and people to the to the class to teach us, you know, those those skill sets which are fundamental that we don't always have. So, yep. uh, really, really great uh, great experience uh, for sure. Now. Um, awesome.
3: Yeah, glad you enjoyed it. And it was it was a pleasure working with you on it too.
0: And yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um and and I definitely recommend. It. And so we'll put links in the in the show notes so that people can check out your classes and, you know, sign up for the next sessions that you have because they're they're done in in phrases yep. obviously uh, but uh, there's another thing you guys did I mean like you're you're you guys have always contacted me it's like we've got this cool idea I'm doing something different and I'd like you know has some advice on something so you and you're you know you're you're working on your monarch VR stuff you're you did something with uh, 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 I think there was some some transportation stuff that you were doing there's all kinds of different projects that you're working on so uh, all of which by the way seem to all center around making the world a better place, <laughs> which I think is a really great uh, initiative. So can you tell me a little bit about, because I don't know which ones I, I'm allowed to talk about and not talk about <laughs> so, because we've talked yeah. about a lot of things, but tell us a little bit about some of the other projects that you've done that are, you know, related to real-time and computer graphics, but not necessarily uh, visual effects and filmmaking. So tell us a little bit about some of those projects you guys are doing.
3: Sure, yeah. Um. <clears throat> yeah, my, my personal sort of... Uh, I always call it the existential crisis and we're trying to basically trying to figure out what <clears throat> what i'm doing with my time um, and trying to make it as satisfying for me and as valuable to the world as possible because i think that intersection where um you you're doing something that you love something that you're good at and something that is in demand something that's useful um when you when you're when you in, are in the middle of where those three overlap that's where for me the most Passion has emerged, and where the most kind of satisfaction has emerged and it, it's pretty it's a hard one because it doesn't involve me periodically digging around in my soul to, to you know, figure out what it is that i 'm doing, and am I doing the right thing you know, I'm spending the largest amount of my budget yearly budget on education myself and you know continuing to grow but it's um, in in that kind of exploration personally. I've I've always tried to follow what what um I have a uh there's uh, so many options in life and try and follow trying to follow the one that speaks to me the most the one that's like gets me the most excited um that is something that is feasible and possible and I, to be honest at the beginning of my visual effects career I felt like doing this for a living was not possible I felt like it was a dream and, you know, only special people got to do it. And I don't know, I, I didn't. I followed software engineering because that seemed more practical at the time. But then just just jumping and hoping the net would appear, it did. But, you know, in a calculated way, I went and got some really good education first. Um, I then just continued to personally follow that um, that path and seeking out things that are not just, Something to pay the bills, but something that's kind of not good enough for me, which is, which is annoying sometimes. You know, it's frustrating to have that extra requirement, but it does mean that I've been really lucky to end up in some of these situations where my my, some of my most recent ones. I really wanted to use the skills I had for um, some of the bigger problems that we're going through as a culture, and and thinking about that, I was trying to think: Do I go back to being an engineer and try and help make better solar panels, or? what is it? What am I supposed to do um and this opportunity the the people i'm I'm working with at arrival um came up to help work in the electric vehicle industry and they're particularly interested in um commercial electric vehicles' because, as it turns out um the the emissions are roughly equal in commercial compared to consumer vehicles. Um, but there's way less vehicles, and it's a much easier problem to solve in a way because many less vehicles to replace to, to cut the same number of emissions with people's personal vehicles. You'd have to replace so many of them that it's a much harder problem. Um, and these guys have really seen that, and they've really gone after manufacturing itself and re- kind of reinvented the way that that works. Um, and they're really big into um the the possibilities of autonomous, um, although they're not really calling it self-driving as more like self-driving ready or autonomous ready um, because they're trying to be responsible about that. Um, But using computer graphics is essential in that context and doing world building because essentially to train those systems, you can't do enough of it by driving a car around. It's not possible to get enough data to train those systems properly. So you have to do it by um, simulation, <clears throat> and in comes computer graphics. That's something I know know how to do quite well, um, and s- it still has a lot of capability within it to um, to to use what I'm I'm good at. I don't have to go and retool and figure out how to do something else. I was able to just jump into that, and it was a it's been a really fantastic adventure. And, um, and they also have a a race car championship called Robo Race, which is a full right. size it's a full-size formula 1 size autonomous race car a real physical car that's full size that they race each other around a track and then have the metaverse which kind of goes alongside it which is not no is a very um maybe overused term these days but uh an over <coughs> an overlay you know and a sort of digital twin i guess um in which you can put all kinds of cool things and let your creativity really run riot um so it's, it's super fun. The the there's so many challenges in it and it really feels like something that's doing something that I I really believe in the mission and um and it really helps me to to stay in production to stay doing what I like to do using the tools I I enjoy the most these days which are Houdini and Unreal and Blender and still using some of the older tools but um this the tools the skill sets and tools are go undergoing some significant change right now. And, you know, trying to stay ahead of that. So I'm constantly learning and, and evolving, um, to try and yeah. keep up with it.
0: Well, uh, AI, it's interesting. I mean, uh, this is something that's happened with us quite a bit. I mean, what, the whole thing with AI now or training is that you need to give it data, right? And there people are lots and lots and lots and yeah. lots of data. And people are finding it like much more efficient to uh, use computer graphics for training purposes rather than real world situations. Uh, I know that you know there is ways that we were uh, helping certain companies where they basically needed to train something on what a room looks like but they wanted a room in like a million different configurations, right? And it's much easier to have all those configurations done in CG than to actually buy lots and lots of furniture and keep changing and, and taking more and more photographs. So yeah. it was kind of an interesting, interesting problem. Additionally, I mean, you probably can train it in situations that would be dangerous in the real world. <laughs> Am I correct?
3: Yeah, well, if you pay much attention to Elon Musk, you know you, you're very aware of the fact he is working in one of the biggest ways in, in AI in the world. But he's also a big voice in terms of caution in, mm-hmm. in using it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's it's it it's already controlling things that affect us in ways that we don't understand. You know, with it's essentially running social media to a great extent. Presenting us with what we are being programmed with on those platforms, and it's not being chosen by people; it's being chosen by these algorithms. And um, yeah, I mean that's just one example of it. But then obviously, there's the Terminator, and then you know all kinds of possible apocalyptic futures with AI. But uh, there's a big—it's a big spectrum, I think. And it's not going to go away. No one's going to stop doing it. So. I think it clearly even the man even the man who's very cautious and afraid of it in almost you no know, Elon, very right. vocally so, he's still pushing ahead with it. So I think it, it just becomes um import important to um think about like at the morality of what's going on, I guess, and and the possible dangers. But like with with this much it's incredibly powerful. Social media, AI Computers, computer graphics—this so incredibly powerful. We're so easily influenced by things that it's it's very important to, that we um, we take all those things into consideration and be really responsible with them. And I, I wonder whether or not they may start to become warnings on things like they used to get parental advisory on, you know, album covers or whatever. Maybe they'll start having those kinds of things on things that are generated by AI, so that people are aware. That they're not real, and you know, uh, understand the difference. Um, so yeah, it's it's completely unknown though, and it makes it exciting, but also scary at the same time. Like anything that's new.
0: Sure, sure. I mean, that's the thing that's also that I've always been fascinated with. AR, specifically with with art that we create uh, is that um, art and is based on something that is um, comes out of your conscious mind to try to express something that's different that you may not have seen before that sounds like, this is an idea I have, right? And that idea can be birthed out of a bunch of things. But with AI, the problem is that it's all uh, done through learning of something else. It's always a reference of something different. It's always based on something that has happened in the past. So it's never really creating anything new. <laughs> it's actually creating things that are uh, a little bit different uh, or a little bit, you know, uh, uh, done in the past so it's good at doing tedious things that have already been done it's not always good at creating new ideas uh necessarily right
3: yeah yeah certainly neural nets uh, they're specifically designed to learn from something and then just be really good at doing that over and over again right um yeah but then there is the the whole kind of strand of uh what when when i did my degree they were starting to do this which was 20 years ago now wow um (laughs) How did that happen? Um, yeah, they were talking about there was a, a very first unit when I left in evolutionary computing, which is basically algorithms evolving and, and being tested and living or dying based on how successful they were. And actually computers starting to program themselves effectively and all those kinds of approaches, which is in, in 20 years it's definitely taken a bit, but um yeah but that type of thing because um, may yeah, machine learning isn't exactly machines machine intelligence as such, but it could it can become that if if systems start being able to design themselves and program themselves and there is um uh I'm just thinking about arrival there's be careful of like what I can't say about that. Um but there there's there's components to that company where um that those technologies are being used in the the design process and in parts which have always been done by people, never been given to computers. Um yeah. and they're, they're actually finding quite a lot of success in in those areas which are quite, very creative and are somewhat sometimes artistic. Um I mean, yeah, I guess creativity is really just according to einstein it's combining com- combinatorial play i think he said was the definition of crea- creativity which is combining things together in new ways to make something new so in in a lot of ways humans aren't that creative as well they're just rehashing things over and over sure. again with some differences every now and again but i i think I, I don't see that i think it's almost inevitable that computers are, will become more and more adept at, the, at those creative decisions and more and more intelligent, as opposed to capable machine learning capable.
0: Yeah, I, and and you, you mentioned Elon Musk and and his his warnings about that, and and, and you're right. Uh, but so he's like you said, I'm not necessarily scared of what Elon is building. I'm much more scared of what John Carmack is building because he left uh, Oculus to go independent and he wants to work on general intelligence which is a much more like his bet that's that's the golden ai right that's the one that can really do things so that's very fascinating to me as well yeah uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do want to get into virtual production with you guys. Sorry, I'm going to jump around a little yeah. bit and talk about that. So uh, obviously, you guys have started your course. You, I have took your course in, in terms of where it's going in, in, in virtual production. Uh, over the years, uh, it's changed quite a bit. You've seen some, probably some evolutions happening uh, uh, for quite a bit, including, you know, I sort of have a little uh, pet peeve of mine where everyone th- thinks... You know, I was speaking to someone at, at Netflix, and they said, "Oh, you mean virtual production? You mean like The Mandalorian?" And I'm like, yeah. "Okay, so this is a little bit of you know what people are are going through right now. What is what are some of your thoughts about virtual production over the years? How is it it has evolved, and, and obviously the tools have changed and enabled certain things. But what are some of the things that you've seen change over the years, and where do you think it's going to go in the future?"
3: It's a good good question. Yeah, um, yeah the the. Well, it's been around, as you said, been around for a long time, the components of it that uh, I mean, something like the Mandalorian, the getting final pixels through a camera, if that's the intent there, which I know that a lot of it was actually redone. Um, But getting having a background behind some action is is something that's very old. you know it's been been around since the Yeah, weird projections. Sighamart. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in yeah, the yeah. 30s.
0: <laughs> driving Absolutely. Yeah. I can't change the perspective but as long yeah, as you're you know, okay Yeah, no going you can not change way. perspective, <laughs> yep. but it's that's the same thing. <laughs>
3: yeah, essentially, yeah. I mean that that's been around for a long time. You know, people um often forget that, you know the they even some of the stuff going back in in visual effects like um <clears throat> like the Matrix, you know, was massive pioneering movie in terms of um visual effects and the um uh sorry somebody's coming in the background there sorry okay. we're uh, we're on a podcast <laughs> hello <laughs> thank you <clears throat> cool um can you shut the door thank you sorry about that <laughs> it's okay lights you know that's uh working from home right yeah what's oh, yeah. going on in the background yeah yeah um so yeah, no, going going back even to some of those formative visual effects um, inventions like um The
0: Matrix bullet, stuff you were talking about. Bullet the time, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: That that's something which is credited to that movie and, and kinda of was, but MyBridge really was doing that a hundred years before. And you know, he yes. he put multiple cameras around a subject, hit them at the same time. So he was trying to study animal motion and did you know I mean that that guy's like if you want to credit one person with the invention of so much of what we do today, like he was a crazy pioneer of so many of those things. Um but yeah, I think vir- virtual production has as I said been around for a long time. There was components of it going back to like Lord of the Rings using VCAM and some early mocap um integration, like the background stuff's been around for a long time really like the avatar was i guess where it came together the most um it, you know that that could be considered the the real birth of modern virtual production being able to do i, I think it's also important to define it you now it's it's a term that gets used a lot a bit like um hd was you know when hd was coined yeah. like what what's the resolution um and then there was various different modes of that you know virtual and vr too people talked about 360 video as being vr and real time and it's all it's a, it, i think we're in the same situation with virtual production and trying to define what it is and it's a very long way of answering your question about the what, it, what,
0: what is your definition of virtual production? if you had to define it today and you had a strict definition of what it is what would you define it as being
3: i have i have a def i have several definitions in the class and the one that's mine um, is really using um a combination of technologies including mocap uh, real time engines um live action or not um in combination to be to be able to rapidly iterate through filmmaking and use it for previs postvis techvis production um or and any and all of those components together or separately because Um, But depending on the project, you might just be really interested in the VCAM side. You just want to get really great camera data, which is a lot of what's happening on the Lion King. It's just to get really, really nice camera moves um, and a great looking Um, pre-viz. But but it can also be considered to be tech viz, where you're just using it to pre-plan a live action shoot, and you're just going to throw it away afterwards. Or it could be Mandalorian style, where you're going to actually get some final pixels in the can um, it's it's sort of anything and and everything that uses any of those to me. Uh, and I think it's really important because I think a lot of people go after the, the, the Mandalorian version, which is fantastic, you know, and definitely not putting that down. But there's so many other things you can do that to me are just as exciting or even more in being able to... Where it's most, I think, exciting is in getting the filmmakers together, because before they all would be separate or leaning over some artist's shoulder because they they can't they don't have the 2 years to learn maya that it takes to do previous they're instructing somebody you know puppeteering someone like me to sit there and do what they what their vision is and instead now they can actually be in the environment they can use tools they're familiar with they can be together with their other filmmakers and be there to really rapidly move through the decision-making process, which is what pre-production and previs is, is. You're trying to make a lot of decisions and then use those to go and <clears throat> you know, give a, a recipe to post to rebuild it again. Um, in in virtual production, there's so much opportunity to get the filmmakers together and play and find things that they wouldn't have done or um, would have been kind of painted into a corner in post. Like, no, that's already been set. We can't touch it. Now they can get in there, move a camera around, change the viewpoint, change the environment, look at the action, say, okay, we need to tweak that a bit. If they're using mocap, they can do it immediately or otherwise they maybe have a, a team of animators by the side that can reorganize that. And very quickly they can, um, that that was really the process on, on some of those movies I I was fortunate to work on was um, just being able to really rapidly go through, uh, the filmmaking process and have everyone involved, and because to, 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 essentially it's creative, and if you if you're being creative, you want to be able to make mistakes, and and learn from them immediately, and then do something about it. That's that's really like rapid iter- iteration. What it's useful for, and in filmmaking, you would start with like here's a script, and okay, now it's locked. Now we go to the storyboard. Now that's locked. Do the previous um in this in this new age you can really pull it about you know you can you can change things even afterwards you can even go back and do reshoots if you're not happy with post you can go back and do a reshoot without at all the expense of rendering it fully which is very costly yeah. to get that back in front of the director again you can just go reshoot it in virtual production and you know it, yeah. it it's incredible how flexible and and fun and the fact that it actually raises the quality in so many ways,
0: yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the the, the way that you know that's referred to in this you know, as a software engineer, you should probably you would probably know this, but uh, the 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 way that's referred to in, in in that world is you know a waterfall approach. It's just the traditional way that we've done things versus an agile approach, which allows you to iterate in these quick sprints uh, much more rapidly. Which is interesting because I've been thinking about this, the visual effects problem of the you know that is, and in fact, the entire film industry still is stuck in the waterfall approach of like no we don't do anything until we pass it on to the next person and uh jackie is very familiar with this because she was a compositor she was literally the end of the waterfall in many cases and she sat there and had to wait for everything else to be done before she could do anything and it was uh uh, probably very frustrating am i right jackie
2: (laughs) yeah well the the hard part about it was always that i got it um at, like we were always running late, and so I'd always get it at the very end, and so it was always like crunch hour, crunch hour, and that that part was always really challenging, um, but always fun.
0: Yeah. So, what was it like for you when you made that transition from being, you know, being someone who who was working in, in you know, as a as a as a lead compositor and the, the work that you did, which was great, and I loved working with you back uh, back in the day. But now you're working a lot more real time stuff. You're doing a lot more interesting. Uh, things in terms of what virtual production is you've done some v r obviously you're doing a lot of more of uh, v r projects and that were involved. How was that transition from you uh to to, to think about it uh, in a much more iterative and uh, immediate sense of things
2: um, I guess I would say that i really um it feels like a natural growth like it feels It feels quite natural to be inside of unreal and to be developing your own world and to be i mean there is new stuff to learn and it's always a constant process but i think everyone needs to be keeping up with technology so um but i i feel like it's quite natural and that we're hitting a time where i think anyone can make their own films and anyone can make their own art anyone can be their own storyteller and that's what um the fellowship really got me excited about was that everyone has a voice and that um you know like I did have a bit of 3d background but I wasn't I was mostly a compositor but to be able to go in and make my own 3d inside of unreal has been just mind opening and so yeah yeah it's been good
0: yeah, that's 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 great. I mean, I think that there's something that's very interesting and satisfying about it. Uh, you know, and this is something that we covered in in the class. You know, when I was uh, looking at things, and this is when I first started exploring virtual production stuff, the only tool we had was Motion Builder, right? And Motion Builder was very good at doing a bunch of things and still is at doing things. But what was dissatisfying about it was that it never really tried to focus on making it look good because it never, that wasn't its its goal was to make it look good. Oh, you're going to make it look good later. So just get a rough idea of what it looks like. And so when we sort of did the construct thing and we started actually making it look much closer to the final frame as that we wanted, that's when we started to realize like, oh, now it makes sense to bring the DP back on set, <laughs> right? To actually have the DP play that role. I mean, before it was, you know, the DP does a bunch of things with a bunch of green screen or blue screen, hands it over to a facility and waits a couple of years to see final picture. And that's a little bit dissatisfying uh, in some ways, when they actually have the opportunity to do things in camera at this point, uh, so what are you, what are your thoughts about that specifically? Like, what's going to be in camera and the quality of the work that you're able to see in real time? How do you think that that's going to evolve? You're nope. the one I'm going to ask.
3: Yeah. Well, the qual- quality is, in, uh, in my opinion, inevitably just going to keep getting better and better what what that decision we made in the Sancho plan to go 2d over 3d was at that time it was not good enough for us and we made that choice at this point if we were making that same choice we'd definitely be going with 3d and using a a real-time engine um and even just in the few years that really it's been done more professionally, like Jungle Book was kind of akin to Avatar a little bit. It was still a lot of motion builder. Avatar was mostly motion builder. In Jungle Book they were using motion builder to puppeteer Unity. So it was kind of like, and then using a, an add-on renderer, Photon, to actually render it out. So it was kind of like three things stuck together puppeteering into a renderer. Um, and then Lion King was kind of cutting out the motion builder step. And now being able to go straight into Unreal with the the improvement of visual quality, looking at the Lion King previews now, which I can't because they wouldn't have it, but uh, you can see little clips of it here and there on the internet. Um, The quality of that compared to what you can do now is just incredible. Like now we we had to have bald lions, you know, now you could have, could actually have hair and fur and the grass and um, not to mention you know, some some of the things on lighting King that were sort of experimental, like trying to get all the lighting and all the lighting in those um, environments needs to really be dynamic. You can't really usually afford to do too much light building or baking lighting. Um, and in that situation, but just because filmmakers want to change stuff, and if you really want to change it, you want to use it. What it's good for, you want to be able to change it. If you change it. And you've built the lighting then it doesn't make sense anymore you have to rebuild it so you kind of need your lights to be dynamic and some of the things that were available then were an approximation of what gi would look like and it was pretty good but now we're starting to see um, ray tracing being capable of doing some of those things even in unreal 4.4 and um, 4, the four versions uh for unreal 5 um for anyone that doesn't know has this thing called Lumen that's been invented, which is a, a sort of approximation of GI again, but much more accurate. Um, And that that kind of allows you to do real-time GI and proper reflections um and ultra high-res geometry. Some of the things in 5 that people are kind of giddy with excitement about for good reason uh, are pushing the quality up to, to a point where it's like almost comparable now to to um, some offline um, and and happening in real time. When I when I first um, worked with a company called Pure Imagination for a while, doing a lot of um, location based VR experiences, like the Aliens one that was in LA for a while, some some other stuff. Um, what what I saw when I was using Unreal there and rendering it as a renderer out of Unreal was not being run in real time. The end result was a, a movie. But the render times was just so good because it was basically rendering in real time. I was like I could sacrifice a bit of quality for that speed. I can remember early in my career having renders that were being predicted to be a week before they came back off the farm. And like, you know, trying to tell my producer about that yeah. whilst keeping them calm was quite difficult. Um, yeah. but now seeing that stuff, the, the quality and the speed and they're trying to keep the speed up whilst pushing the quality as much as possible because that benchmark of real time is really really important. Um the I think inevitably the quality is just gonna get keep getting better and better with already with the like path tracer in four point two seven, you can actually ray trace in Unreal. There's it's I think it's just obvious the hardware's got a little bit of problem at the moment of just getting the hardware out to people is really tough right now um that's yep. probably more of a challenge than <clears throat> than on the software side of it but those they're they're just gonna keep marching on and I think we'll be at the point where um it matches with offline i I don't see I mean, I, yeah. Obviously I mean, does, thought- I, I've
0: actually had this conversation with Vlado many times, and basically, our, uh, the point that we've made is like that: real-time rendering will eventually replace offline rendering, but hmm. what's not going to replace, uh, uh, but uh, rasterized rendering is not going to replace ray tracing. No. So, no. so, so, ray tracing has to take over. Now, the challenge is this, right? And you're right. You're absolutely right. There's a path tracer inside of Unreal, and there's a path tracer. Inside of uh, um, um, uh, uh, Omniverse, and and there's a path, there's a bunch of path tracers. In fact, you know, uh, writing a path tracer is not necessarily a challenge as much as it used to be because of you know tools like Optics, etc. Allow you to write path tracers pretty easily. The challenge is not that. The challenge is that what we expect out of our path tracers is a huge a lot more than what can be done in real time in yeah. terms of the features right so you can't do really good subsurface scatter can you know yeah. skin in real time yet it's getting faster <laughs> or yeah. or hair with proper melanin right and and, and yeah. we all know when we worked in visual effects when we're looking at final pixels you know uh, a very quick diffuse shader it runs at 24 frames a second is not going to cut it when it we want to nitpick the hell out of things. But so yep. I do think that there's a, there's, you know, the ray tracing portion of things are going to be advantageous. Uh, I do appreciate what I find fascinating and I just, and, and taking your class really reinforced it. What I found fascinating about unreal was not necessarily, uh, the quality of its render, which I think is very good uh, as a rasterizer. Uh, um, uh, but, what I found it great about it is that it is incredibly complex uh, and uh, 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 agile and uh, flexible to incorporate a huge amount of real-time um, combinations, right? I can bring in a suit and a V-cam and gloves and a face and connect it to all kinds of other sensors. I can make my own Wheel avatar, you know, focus puller, and then, then find a way to plug that. So Unreal can bring in everything, and that's sort of what it's so amazing about it, um, uh, to me. Uh, and it's not necessarily you know the rendering portion of it, which I think is 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 good, but uh, it's it's bringing a bringing a group of people together to work together. Now the collaborative nature of that. I mean, what is your thoughts about you know the collaborative live? Uh, 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 you know working live with a bunch of people at the same time what do you feel that that how, how do you think that that's going to change the way we think about virtual production and filmmaking
3: yeah that's a good question I, I, you probably have some thoughts on this too uh, i'll um i'll take a stab at it um so seeing being being on stage during lion king and seeing what that filmmakers were able to do for the first time, them being in VR, scouting a set, putting cameras down, making decisions, making creative decisions um, while on f- connected boxes at that point, you no, know, that's something that's now been replicated in, in Unreal, that where you can actually connect remotely as well. You can, you don't even have to be in the same room. And a lot of people now are actually working together in the same Set in the same scene, doing that work together, um, the same as you would on a live action set, but they're doing it virtually across the internet. And the internet's getting as another big component to it is the bandwidth being all these things kind of came together at the right time. Like the desire, the this knowledge, the tools, the tech capability, the bandwidth of the internet being an, another one. The fact that we can do this now—you know, we can record this in as much quality as we have like it's it's quite new and being able to do those things over the internet is um, doing virtual production over the internet is pre- it's pretty it's pretty new um it's really only been possible for like the last 10 minutes you know it's very it's very, very new <laughs> and i think now that it's possible there's like part of creativity where you where something's impossible and you vision it and you make it possible there's another part to it where something becomes possible and then you you're like wow that's opened my eyes to some new possibilities now and you start exploring and creating with these new capabilities so i think part of the fact that the tech is 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 at this point where it's the first time that this stuff's been capable of doing this means that you know directors can sit in their homes and critique and do scouts and and. They don't have to they don't have to be physically on set. It's just amazing, but also everybody else involved can also be in there and be involved to me to me um I was having this conversation uh, the other day and um I think for the one of the most exciting bits of it to me is that it's kind of bringing everyone together again it's it's allowing it's tremendous fun working on these projects and being able to be there on stage. I love being on set. It's, Can be stressful sometimes, but it's a lot of fun. It's very creative. Naturally, you know, it's pulling things around a lot, and there's a lot of decisions being made on the fly. I think that um, being 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 able to uh, do all of that collaboratively together, not being—it's weird because we're doing it at a time where worlds become more isolated, and I think that that's almost pushed it to be to push these collaborative tools even more um so to be to be able to be in there at the same time be creating together, not be abstracted from the filmmakers and in the post you're you're often in a dark room somewhere very far from where the action's happening and you kind of receive these drops okay this is what I'm doing now, okay cool and you sit there and do it and you apply your your creative excuse me your creativity to it at that stage um but now with this technology you you're I think it's just bringing that whole process together. It's kind of busting the pipeline open, which is a a good thing. And there are things like USD and and Omniverse making that possible outside of even just the same tool. Like they're they're developing connective tissue across multiple tools. Now, now there's this crazy moment where you can have a Houdini session running inside Unreal. Omniversing out to Maya and Blender and a bunch of other people in different programs, but everyone can be in it at the same time, communicating with each other through Discord or whatever you know tool they want to use. Um, and it's actually brought people closer, weirdly to me, brought people closer together than when we were sitting on the same desks as each other, because everyone in those environments was all headphones on, get on with your work, you don't talk to each other that much. I think this has the possibility of of um, the capability of really, uh, really bringing people together. And, and that, it just makes it so much more fun to me, you know, yeah. as well as being capable of making a, a better result. I think getting all those people on the same page, it also yeah. makes the process a lot, a lot more fun and exciting and collaborative and creative. I don't know. Yeah. Jackie, what do you think too?
2: Yeah, the, the only thing I would add to what you said, which was really cool, um, is that it was it was really fun when um, we had someone teach a cinematography class, which is also um, in our store, but he'll be teaching it again. We have a cinematographer come and we did an Unreal course where he showed the cinematography tools and then we showed how that translates inside of Unreal. And so the, the tools of filmmaking are still um, useful from from the early premise to to the current times and so it's really fun to to have that shared dialogue between different people and visual effects is now talking to production and and both of those skills are useful to each other and i think that's that is also yeah what makes it really fun is yeah that that new collaboration and sharing of knowledge so
1: yeah yeah for
0: sure i think that filmmakers uh the thing that, you know, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of pushback in the industry and still is to some extent, but not as much right now. But there was a lot of pushback, let's say, five years ago or so, where or let's let's just let's say the the life of Pi days when they basically just poo-pooed CG all the time and dismissed it as being inferior filmmaking. And it was just really kind of a shame because CG is used in so much and it's so good. Uh, and when it's not good is when you notice it. And that's when they say CG is bad because it's not good CG. You know, there's all these different things that are really kind of a shame about it. But I think what also uh, hurt the, the the world of visual effects and computer graphics is that it was this black box that the filmmakers had no, no role in, right? They basically just hoped that something was going to happen. Now, with virtual production, what's really nice is that you have like, you know, a Caleb the Chanel doing cg <laughs> yeah. with the skill set that he has and making that into uh the lion king and so now he's invited back into the, the creative process that he was absent before and so i think those are the things that i think are that i find exciting about virtual production and you guys definitely are you know talking about those things and you know the people that you invite to your uh, uh to to lecture in your classes are filmmakers in a lot of ways and that's kind of a nice thing to sort of Remember those filmmaking skills, and as you said, Jackie, they still apply, right? They still apply today. I want to. I'd rather learn lighting from you know uh, like someone like a Caleb than you know someone who's just coming out of you know a visual effects school because Caleb is gonna ha- have. 30 years of amazing cinematography experience or, you know, 50, 60 years. how mean, he's, he's up there, but <laughs> yeah. he's a, you know, th- th- those are, those are the people I want to learn from uh, uh, in some ways, which I think are, which I think is great. In fact, I do remember at one point we were, I was doing a C on all CG car commercial and we had a, we hired a DP who does live action car commercials as a consultant to, basically say no nope, you can't shoot a car that's like it doesn't obey the laws of physics like you can't light a car that way <laughs> you know what i mean right so he actually said no no it's like if i were to shoot this i would use a Fisher light and it'd be a, the only you can only get a Fisher light that's you know 40 feet so that's the size of the light we can, you know so we had all these things you know we can't uh, it was really kind of a great uh great tool set and that makes it look more real to me On it, admit so yeah
3: yeah, it was a, like an obsession on *Lion King*. Was was to do do it in that exact way. You know, Every thing that was being attempted within the virtual world right. was run through the filter of could this be done in real life? Like, could you could you do this lighting wise, or could you um, flag this off and, and shadow this area with with something? Would this be physically possible yeah. in in real life? And if it was, then they would do it. And if it wasn't for the most part, they wouldn't because they just, the filmmakers knew that if they, if they wanted it to look as filmmaker as possible, they had to be as faithful as possible to um, doing things that you, you can do in real life. Like right. when I'm looking at people's work um, and critiquing it for, for classes or, or otherwise one of the, some of the biggest things that stand out the most are like, there's too many lights in the scene. You know, there's, it's creating something that's really hard to debug or work with, and it's also doing something that's weird, but you don't quite know why. Um, having a, a more, you know, physically based lighting setup, um, yeah. Also, had camera work. You know, doing CG cameras, which is not not a new thing. Flying CG cameras around everywhere, it looks fake and mm-hmm. weird, and it breaks down if you if you try and build a camera, even though you could do anything with a camera, but respect. What would actually be happening put it on uh, even if it's just a parenting a couple of nulls together but sim to simulate a crane you're at least starting with that basis you know, so it's something that that could be done in real life and you can right. tell you can tell all of those all of those components feed into it and add up to does this feel believable does this feel correct or right or whatever
0: yeah in fact i remember and you probably uh, I remember this one uh, uh, as well since you worked on it. But I was, I'd, I'd happened to have the opportunity to see some of the prototype, you know, virtual cranes that Magnopus was was building, <clears throat> you know. And it was like a physical thing that you pushed up and down like a crane on the thing and it had counterweights, et cetera. Now in VR, it actually looked like a crane and you could see the camera move, et cetera. But it was a real thing that you moved. And then that means that you have something that will, if it, if it feels, if you can have the actual muscles of the person that's pushing this, it'll have much more of a realistic look than just clicking, you know, start frame, end frame, camera move, ease in, ease out. It, like that doesn't, <laughs> that's not the same.
3: Yeah, now, even if you add a little bit of noise to it, it still just isn't quite there. Like yeah. all those tiny little nuances in camera motion really add up. And uh, Caleb on Lion King was able to bring in his actual crew like they, right. they need to be trained on unity they could actually bring his crew in and they could operate physical machinery that they were used to using in the same right. way that they used to using it communicating and you know that that's that those people that are used to working together and comfortable with the tools and the team were able to operate in that space with not very much kind of ramp up you know it's amazing and then now it's getting pushed even further as and the, the really cool thing to me as well with it, it's all great if you have millions of dollars to spend on all of this stuff, but one of the coolest things about it to me is that anyone can do this now. The, the fact that these tools are, are free and there's so much great education out there that's free, No, you know, um, that there's there's so much opportunity for everybody to get involved um, and, and use this for your own purposes if it's making your pitch for your movie that you want to make you know that before was very hard now it's become a lot a lot more accessible we we have a, for for our course um we get a lot of filmmakers who don't have cg experience and they come in mm-hmm. and within weeks they're making their pitches for their their movie and now they they're winning new new kinds of work as directors they they it's created this massive advantage for them because they're they're able to um, do something and show it to the client, like who did this for you? And then they say, oh, I did it myself. And they're kind of like, huh, what do you what do you mean? And like, no, within weeks you can actually create something that's super useful to you to you know, pre vis your your car commercial and do do what you were just saying. Yeah, I've done. I've and there done was that. there exactly. there
0: was on in in our in our in our cohort there was a lot of uh, filmmakers that were in there. They were like, oh, I've directed a bunch of commercials. I need. This is, this is a tool I need in my arsenal, and this is great. And they're learning and creating things. that was really cool. Uh, but yeah. speaking of which, uh, you know, we're we're, com- we're a little over an hour, which is still fine. We can keep talking. But Jackie, can, can you outline for people listening all the different things that you get if you sign up for one of these courses, which is what I did? I mean, I, there was a lot of things. It's not just, you know, the two classes. There's a bunch of other things that people have access to and, and, and benefits that they have. So can you tell people all the things that are available?
2: Do you mean from the uh, original course or all the upcoming stuff that we're starting now?
0: Well, either one, but I know you have your own group. You know, there's a there's Facebook groups where people continue to collaborate on. There, you have access to videos and scripts and all that other stuff. So, but basically, what are what are so? Can you tell people like all the things that people have taken take advantage of when they get involved in your courseware?
2: Oh, cool. So, yeah, for the eight week course, we have um, an online. Um, course site that you log into, and inside of there, there's a ton of master classes, and we're adding to that all the time. Um, as Ed makes um, classes, like in blueprints or materials, he throws that in, inside of there. So it's this constant, ever-growing um, wealth of information that we're just grandfathering everybody in, and. All the slides from all the weeks are in there and then all of the recordings are available for people to watch after, you know, the the class ends for as long as they want to. And um, we are going to be we're just continuing to to advance that. We're trying to make recordings so that people can go in there and and sort of. do it step by step, but it's just, you know, it takes a lot of time to do that. And, um, we actually got really passionate about making an advanced course. So we're going to be teaching in, um, mid to late October. Um, we're going to be starting our first advanced class, which will be even deeper into virtual production. And there should be some led stuff in there and green screen, um, stage virtual production shoots. And so showing just sort of the hybrid model and the full led model and, and getting deeper into some of the unreal concepts, um, Um, So uh, we really wanted to do that. And then we have an alumni group so um, people can sign up and just continue the conversation, finish their projects if they didn't have an opportunity to um, be able to ask questions, be able to meet other people, um, you know, from other cohorts. And, um, as I was saying, the cinematography class will be probably taught again soon. And so we have, and we have even more that we're trying to build, you know, we're super excited and super passionate about, um, just making this information free, you know, for, or I wouldn't say free, but like, you know, make it accessible to everybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are pretty good about, you know, we had people from all around the world when we did the class, right? So we had someone from Australia, we had some people all over and, they signed. You know, they, they they came in at all hours of their of their day. It worked. It worked out pretty well. So people can definitely sign up from anywhere on the planet that they want to. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and absolutely. and and do that, uh, which is, which is awesome. Now, I also want to give you, cause you guys just started this, but I, I, as someone, you know, who's been podcasting for a long, long time, uh, well, it seems like a long time, but, um, I, I'd love for you guys to have the opportunity to talk about the podcast that you guys started so you can get the, get people to check some of that out. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and what's it called and where can people find it? What's on it? What's, what's going on there?
3: So, sure, yeah. Um, so our our name is Becoming a CG Pro. Um, the this the website our website is becomecgpro.com. dot com, um, and we can add some links. I'll, I'll give you some links to share with people. Um, but yeah, yeah becomecgpro.com. dot com. Um, from there, you can access the podcast. We have a a link to the podcast. So you can sign up for it on most of the major platforms spotify and google and apple and amazon and it's rss and you know all the all the things i think mm-hmm. um there's also on that website um you can keep in touch with us um, uh, find out about courses um we are also to ha- happy to share my contact info you know, look us up edward dawson taylor or Jacqueline Cooper on LinkedIn or Facebook. I'm very happy to connect with any any of your listeners and talk about any of this stuff. Um, yeah, the, the podcast is available from that site. We also put a copy of it on our YouTube channel, which um, I'll add a link to. Um, it's uh, And we've just started doing the YouTube channel as well. when that, that um, has our podcast on it, the video version, but also uh, a bunch of useful videos um, to do with The stuff that we teach as well, and have guest talks and tutorials and things like that on it. Um, We also have a a free Facebook group, which is um, I can again become CG Pro. It's Facebook slash become CG Pro. Um, That uh, is basically a free resource to people if they want to come and um, post questions or post their work and get some some feedback on it. We have a uh, good number of, of industry pros in there as well. Um, and so there's a mix of people who are trying to learn about this stuff, people who know about it. And with these great conversations that emerge um, in both of those places and, and in the course too, you know that those communities that evolve through the course are, are quite special um, and really supportive. Um, but yeah, the the did that answer your question? I think yeah, we yeah, it's a lot several, of stuff. Several ways to get them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we will put a lot of those links uh, uh, up on our site, obviously. But it sounds like the 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 hub to check everything out is cgpro dot com, right? That,
3: That's right. Yeah. Okay.
0: Great. And so that's, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's a good place to start for, for all of that stuff, but yeah, definitely check out their podcast. You've got some interesting people on there. Uh, and I know it's always, uh, uh beneficial to cross promote podcasts. So I'd definitely love to do that. And really, you. you know, I want to thank you guys for, uh, for, uh, you know, introducing me to the class. This was the opportunity I needed. It's exactly like you said. There was a bunch of people doing the Unreal Fellowships uh, that learning it that way. And I knew a lot of my friends were doing it. Uh, They got very lucky. But it is kind of, uh, you know, a little bit exclusive to do that. So when you guys says you can do something you know we were offering some some services to to learn unreal and and virtual production i was like great so i signed up immediately uh which was really cool
3: yeah it's a it's a really really good way to go fast you know similar to what i did at the beginning of my career and and have done since too it's just there's there's plenty of material out there on on youtube and unreal's learning center and it's a lot of great stuff and there's some um that's partly the problem. Now, when I was trying to learn before, there was nothing, it was a couple of books and that right. kind of made it more difficult and easier. Cause it's like, all right, this is the book. Okay. I'll read this and I'll know about it, but really to take it to the next level, um, I went and got some education from industry professionals that live it. And, uh, and that's what made the, the difference for me. So it may not be for everybody, but if you want to go fast and, and deep and really, um, you know, have have a lot of support. There's me as lead instructor. I'm an Unreal authorized instructor, um, mm-hmm. and Jackie's assistant instructor. And we have four other guests that come in and talk about um, specific areas and their industry experience. So, is and then there's 15 people in the class too, who all are uh, amazing. There's some amazing people lining up for October 3rd, which is our next start. Awesome. Um, so it's just an amazing group that's forming for that. And that, that that's also a great resource. You know, the people that are in it as well.
0: Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, there were some great guys on the, in that group for sure. That was a lot of fun. Well, cool guys. Thank you so much for, for being on the podcast and Jackie, thank you for coming back. It's been too long. Uh, 2016 seems like, yeah, 2016 (laughs) seems like ages ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, having you guys on and, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing all the cool things that you guys continue to do in terms of education and bettering the world and artificial intelligence. And you guys are very busy for sure. All right. Thanks guys. (laughs)
3: Thank Thank you you so much for having us on Chris